following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. This morning, guys, we're looking at Palm Sunday. If you couldn't tell by these beautiful palm branches up here, Palm Sunday. This is the beginning of what we call Passion Week, and this is the last week of Jesus' public ministry before He went to the cross. And the setup for this passage we're going to be looking at here in Luke chapter 19 is that Jesus, you know, he's been traveling for three years and he's been ministering to people. He's been binding up the brokenhearted and proclaiming freedom for the captives. He's been delivering people. He's been calming the seas. He's been doing all these things. He's been teaching. He's been giving life. But now he is going to be making his final descent into Jerusalem. He knows it. Gospel of Luke says he set his face like flint. He was very intentional, very purposeful. Sometimes when we look at the story of Passion Week, we're like, oh no, what happened? I remember when I was younger and I heard that Jesus went to the cross, I'm like, well, what happened? How did that happen? And, and why did that happen? And I was kind of confused, like the bad guys got him, is what I was thinking. When in reality, he came with a mission and his mission was that cross and nothing was going to stop him from it. In fact, Peter tried to stop him and said, you're not going to go. He said, get behind me. You have no idea what I'm about to do for the entire universe. Nothing's going to stop this. So he's about to go on his final descent down into Jerusalem. And this is going to be what we call Passion Week, where we look at everything from Palm Sunday to the Last Supper and the Garden of Gethsemane and and the crucifixion and the resurrection all in one week. There's so much stuff that happens in the life of Jesus right now. And the setup for this passage today is that as Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, he just goes through the town where Lazarus had died. Lazarus had died, and it was a very sad funeral. He was buried, and Jesus came, and they said, Lord, you got here too late. A lot of times we think that with the Lord. It's like, Lord, it's a little late. You could could have showed up. I was asking for this earlier, and I didn't get what I was asking for, and I don't understand, and I'm confused about this. And they were as well, and Jesus said, roll the stone away. And he said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus gets up shakes off the grave clothes, and everyone is like, wow, he is the Messiah. If you had any doubt before whether Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, now you're going, this is the real deal right here. I mean, he is the Christ, he's the Savior, he's the Messiah, this is proof. And so now there's a whole lot of people that are really, really excited about this because when the Messiah comes, the Jewish Messiah comes, the the anticipated Messiah who ever since Moses was talking about the anointed one to come. So people for 1,500 long years are going, when is the Messiah coming? Waiting, waiting, waiting. And a sign of the Messiah, many of the signs, Jesus fulfilled all of them, but some of the signs is the power and the authority that he walked in. And so when Jesus is going, we see part of his aspects of his ministry. We see Jesus, the, the miracle worker. We see him calming the seas. And we're like, wow, that's explosive. And we see Jesus, the teacher, where there's 5,000 on a hillside and he's giving the words for life. We see Jesus, the teacher. We see Jesus, the healer, where he's saying, pick up your mat and walk. And we see all these aspects of Jesus's life. But today we're going to see Jesus, the king, Jesus, the king. And I don't think we talk enough about Jesus, the king, because there's a part about his kingship, how it affects you and how it affects me here and now and forever. It's enormous. It's really important. The people back then, when they saw Jesus call Lazarus out, this was like the final thing. They're like, 
He is absolutely the Messiah. If you had any doubt about it before, it's gone now. And you had another group of people who didn't see the things Jesus did, and they're kind of skeptical, and they're kind of just checking them out and kind of wondering. And there's a whole other group of people that are thinking, no, I already have my idea on who the Messiah is and who the king will be and what he's going to do. And if he doesn't do it my way, I don't accept him. That is also true with us today. There are so many people, when you look at King Jesus, that will say, well, if he serves me and does the things that I think a king should do for me, well, then maybe I'll follow him. And the paradox is this. He is King Jesus. Whether you follow him or not, he's still the king. And when you recognize the king and you start to walk with the king, that's when you get to understand the privileges and the benefits and all these things of being in a kingdom. Believe me, you want to be in his kingdom. Um, we're here today because we love the Lord, but this aspect about King Jesus is so important. It doesn't get enough airplay. What it means is if the Messiah shows up, the kingdom of God is upon you. And these people are waiting for 1,500 years. Kingdom's going to come someday, someday, someday. And even Jesus, when he was asked, he said, if you don't know by my words... Look at all the signs and wonders, and you will know that the kingdom of God is upon you. And they're like, whoa, right here, right now, the kingdom of God is going down in front of us. Again, some were accepting it, some were skeptical, and some were saying, no, it's got to work my way, or I'm not even going to go with this thing on the kingdom. So this whole group of people sees Jesus call Lazarus from the dead, and there's a celebration going on now. He's about to go into Jerusalem for his final descent. There is a lot of excited people. They've been waiting a long time for Messiah. They're celebrating. And this is where the passage picks up in uh, Luke chapter 19. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. And if not, we put this in the bulletin. We're going to look at a, a few key aspects of Jesus as the king. And the setup is this. This was Passover week. The week we talk about Passion Week happened on Passover week. In Jerusalem, they didn't just make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the day. Most came for the week, the week of Passover. So you got people come from the north, south, east, and west, all converging on Jerusalem. It was a mandatory feast day. So if you had any kind of faith and you were sincere in your faith, you converged on Jerusalem. And so now with all these people coming into town, and there's this buzz going on, and I bet a lot of them are saying, hey, did you hear about Jesus, Messiah? And others are saying, no, is the Messiah here? Yeah, you wouldn't believe what he did. We, we have a cousin that lives up in Capernaum. He got, got healed. Really? Yeah. And, and you know what? Uh, our, our neighbor was up at the Sea of Galilee, and, and he like multiplied all these fish and stuff. And fe- You're kidding. No, no, no. And here's some people that just saw call Lazarus out of a tomb. The guy was dead. And now he's alive. People are like, no kidding. There's this buzz going on right now. Pharisees are skeptical. They don't like this a little bit. This is the tension in the story right here. And now... Jesus, Passover week, the city full of people. Jesus is about to enter into the city on Palm Sunday. And it starts on verse 29 of Luke chapter 19. It says, As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. 
Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. I love that picture right there. If you can get a visual on that. You know, you're the guy with the, the colt tied up. Some guys come rolling up and say, we're taking your colt. Hey, what are you doing? The Lord needs it. Don't try that at the valet parking down in Beverly Hills, okay? Pull up to some new Mercedes and go, the Lord needs it. It's not going to work. But it worked for these guys. There was a lot of people expecting Messiah, and there was a lot of people. There was a vibrancy of when is he coming, and he is going to come this way. He was going to come from the east. He was going to come this direction. And these people are like, if the Lord needs it, everything's the Lord's anyway. He can have my cult. Great attitude right here. And we wonder, why didn't he come in on a horse? I mean, personally, the visual I got would Jesus be coming in on a ripping stallion. Charge, you know, that would be cool. That would be a great visual in my mind. But the reason he didn't come in on a horse, like all other kings do when they have a victory kind of parade like this, is because a horse is an animal of war. And Jesus didn't come to start a war. He came in peace. And that's why he's on this cult, this donkey. It's a humble animal. And he's a humble king. And that's what's so different about our king. When we think of accepting this king and following this king, the first question that comes to mind is, well, what kind of king is he? The first thing we see about Jesus from his very birth, when three other kings, wise men from afar, came and kneeled and worshipped him, we see that he was humble from the beginning. He was born in a manger. There's some humility with him that is unprecedented. And the first aspect of Jesus and his kingship is that he's the humblest of all kings. And that, to me, is profound. I can follow a king like that. I can serve a king like that because I know his nature and I know his heart. And there's something about the humility of our King Jesus that is just profound, sets him apart from any other king that ever ruled in the history of humanity. He comes in in humility on a donkey. And and it says it's one that was never ridden. And what that simply means is anything that's going to be set apart for God has got to be pure. And instead of it being used for common purposes, this one was set apart and unused. And it's a way of, like in our life, we set things apart for God. That's a, that's a way to consecrate things. And this tells us that the king was not just a, a humble king, but he was a sacred king because this was used for sacred purposes. Again, we look at the history of kings. We don't see sacred kings. We see secular kings, but not sacred kings. So King Jesus was a humble king and he was a sacred king. And then it moves on in verse 35 and it says, they brought it to Jesus They threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. I love this. This was a moment, this was a snapshot in history that God designed way, way, way in advance. This was a date in history that was anticipated to happen. And Jesus comes in. I love what Zechariah 9.9 says. This is a prophecy about the future Messiah that Jesus fulfilled. It says this. It says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This passage says that 
The king that's coming to you, this is the Messiah, it's a messianic passage. The king that's coming to you, not only is he humble, not only is he riding a donkey, but he's going to bring salvation. The very name Jesus means the Lord's salvation. His very name describes his mission. I remember years ago we were in Jerusalem and we got these cool beads uh, of, of Hebrew letters that says the name Jesus. Really cool. And uh, then I went back on another trip over there and everybody said, hey, when you go back, can you get us some of those, those beads like that? It's like a necklace. looked really cool. And it's Hebrew letters for Yahshua, Jesus. And so uh, we go, sure. So we go back over there and we're in the Jewish quarter and we go to order up some more of these for a whole bunch of people back here in, in America. And um, the guy's putting them together. He's leaving out a letter. And I'm like, wait a minute. This ain't the same. Ours says Yahshua, and this is close, but no cigar. And what he wanted to do, he didn't want to write the name Jesus, the personal name of Jesus. He wouldn't do it. He was just going to write out the term salvation. It's almost the same thing, except for one is personal. One's a person. The other's a topic. And he was willing to write the name salvation, but he wasn't ready to write the name Yahshua, Jesus. And we're like, no, 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 no. We're ordering this. And he said, no. I said, we're not going to buy these if you don't give us the name of Jesus. That's what we're here for. He said, no, I don't want to do that. And I said, sorry, we're ordering like 20 of these things. And it just goes, there's some who don't acknowledge or accept Jesus. They don't want to acknowledge his name. But the reality is his name is salvation, but he's personal because he's God's son who brought salvation. And that's the prophecy in Zechariah 9.9 that when he comes in on this donkey, he comes in bringing salvation. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to pay a price. I mean, he's got salvation in, it, in him. And so uh, this is amazing when this happens. Now, the crowd, when you look at these passages in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you look at Passion Week and you look at the way things were happening, it's really cool to look around at the different parts of the Gospels because you kind of get a bigger picture. What, what it says in Matthew, it says this is a very large crowd. It was a very large, and it says that some went ahead of him and some went behind him. So you got all these people surrounding him with King Jesus in the middle. And it says they praised God in loud voices. Blessed is the king. Other gospels say, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna in the highest. But they're yelling out at the top of their lungs. They're not sedated about their praise. They are very loud about their praise. There's something about when God's stirring something up in your heart and letting it come out. There's something about that. There's something good. There's something healthy about that. These people are going, they're Messiah. They're not going, awesome, our Messiah's here. You see that, Joe? <laughs> it's our Messiah. They're like, Hosanna to the Son of David. Praise the Lord. Hosanna is a welcoming victory chant that they were yelling out to Jesus. And they were waving palm branches, much like these things right here. They're grabbing these things. Everyone's out there in the street waving these palm branches as Jesus, King Jesus, is coming down into the city, going, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Radical visual. It was amazing. They were taking things like their coats and throwing them on the ground. If you've ever seen the old country western movies, when a woman gets out of the stagecoach, sometimes they'd put their coat on the ground for the gal to walk on it so she didn't have to get dirty. It was a sign of, of blessing and a sign of provision. It was a sign of humility. It was a sign of Grace and everyone's doing this for Jesus as they're paving the way. They're basically saying, I submit to you, King Jesus. And this is a coronation. Just like a king is coronated as a king, this is a coronation of King Jesus. But the difference with this king 
and with other kings is that this king is the king of all kings. He's the king of all kings. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess. He's unequivocally on a whole different league than any other king in the history of humanity. Even Napoleon made a statement about that. He said, the thing about Jesus, this guy, he goes, all other kings had limited reign in their kingdom for their lifetime. But Jesus, he's still the king of so many people transcending all generations throughout the world. And he's not physically walking with us. Napoleon was baffled. Why? Because he knew that Jesus is the king of kings. He's just the king of all kings. Another attribute of our king Jesus. He's the king of all kings. It says in Luke one thirty three, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Here's another profound part about King Jesus. Every other king that lived on the history of our planet has had a limited reign for a limited duration with a limited scope of his reign. Every king. That's, that's a blanket statement about all of them. But King Jesus, his kingdom doesn't ever reign. So the cool thing about King Jesus is when you accept him as your king and you enter into his kingdom. And by the way, the only way to get into the kingdom of God is to acknowledge King Jesus. Other people wish there was another way, like, well, can I do it my way or can I make up my own? No, you can't make up your own. It's God's kingdom. He makes up the rules of engagement. And in his kingdom, it's available for everyone on the planet whenever we're willing to step into it, whenever we're willing to acknowledge King Jesus. And the cool thing about his kingdom is it never ends. So we see that this King Jesus, he's an everlasting king. His kingdom doesn't come and then go like any other government or any other kingship. This king is an everlasting one. I love that. And, and again, these, these folks are sitting there and they're just so excited about this because they've been waiting forever for King Jesus to come. They've been waiting forever for the Messiah. And there's a lot of Jewish folks today still waiting for the Messiah. And what I would encourage you to do if you have a heart for Jewish people is to uh, ask them, since they're waiting for Messiah, ask them, when do you think Messiah is going to come? It's interesting some of the answers you're going to get. But the reality is, the Word of God tells us what the signs of Messiah are going to be. He's going to do this. He's going to do this. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to pay a price. He's going to write a whole new covenant, a whole new testament. We have a new testament. That's what he's going to do. He's going to establish a new one. All these things that he's going to put his spirit inside of people. Really? Yeah, all these things is what Messiah will do. And if anyone takes a reasonable look at King Jesus and what he fulfilled, it's so obvious that he's the Messiah. So if you have Jewish friends, I would encourage you to start that dialogue. What do you think about Messiah in their terms? And when do you think he's going to come? And what you might be surprised to find is many of your Jewish friends don't know much at all about Messiah. They don't even talk about it. And you've got to say, your whole Jewish culture, the whole Jewish faith has been waiting for 3,500 years for him. It's the next thing on the calendar. It's the only thing on the calendar. <laughs> You've got to know something. I don't know. I, you know. I just celebrate the holidays. It's like, no, 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 no. Messiah is going to bust open a whole new season of life and a new covenant. You've got, you got to know something about him. And so when people look at the reasonable claims of Jesus and what he's fulfilled, they're like, he was the Messiah. And the Jewish folks that I've met and ministered with and people I've spoken to in Israel, I love the stories of how they've come to recognize King Jesus as the Messiah. They finally started looking at some of these and going, you know what, that, that's what Jesus did. And they look at another, that's what Jesus did. And pretty soon you start looking at them and it's like, the king already came. 
The king already came. We had a tour guide in Israel and we're sitting there in the Kidron Valley. The Mount of Olives where Jesus came down right here. And he went in through the eastern gate, the golden gates right here, which is prophecy. That's where the Messiah is going to go. And Jesus did that already. And today, uh, the eastern side of this valley, the Jewish have buried all of their dead here because it's a sacred place and they know Messiah is going to come this way. The Muslims, on the other hand, have buried all their dead on this side to defile the ground so the Jewish Messiah cannot pass here. It's kind of to trump them. I gotcha. Your Messiah can't make it anymore. And, and then they took those golden gates and they sealed them shut. They're like six feet thick of concrete. So the Jewish Messiah can never come. But you know what it says all the way back in Ezekiel? It said that's going to happen. It says in Ezekiel 33, the Lord took Ezekiel and showed him the vision and showed him the golden gates and showed him that they're sealed shut. He's like, yeah, they're sealed shut. And the Lord's like, you know why? Because the Lord your God has already entered through them. He already came. And so there's Jewish folks today going, how's this going to happen? They're sealed. And they look in their own Bible, their own Old Testament, and they're like, they're supposed to be shut because the Lord your God already entered through them. The Messiah already came. He's fulfilled so many of these. And right here in the story, people are getting it. In fact, people start getting it every day. I love when people understand King Jesus and start to understand the kingdom. And so... When God shows you something, when there's revelation in an area, when God's starting to change your heart and to light you up, you can't really be quiet about it. It's hard to be quiet about it. In fact, you shouldn't be quiet about it. If God's doing something in here, if God's stirring you up, if he's showing you dimensions to the kingdom and the spirit of God's move, don't be quiet about it. You're not supposed to be quiet about it. And the people were just celebrating here and the Pharisees, because they're extremely religious, It says in verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones are going to cry out. This is a day in history that the creator of the universe put in place. There was nothing that was going to stop it. And, And if the proclamation wasn't made by the people, Jesus is like, you have no idea what's hinging on this moment. The stones would cry out. Um, these guys are trying to sedate this. They're trying to quench the praise. They're trying to quench the joy. And I got to say, there's something about that. Um, beware of anyone that is trying to silence your praise. Praise, by definition, is a stirring in the heart where we shout an adoration or a praise to God. A thank you or I love you. It's some dimension of verbalizing an appreciation to the Most High God. That's what praise is by definition. Lord, we praise you. You're a good God all the time. Praise. It's what Paul and Silas did in prison, even though they were locked up. They were locked up in a smelly dungeon, and they yet can praise God, and the very foundation of the place was shaken. Praise is something on the inside that the Spirit of God stirs in you. That's a good thing. That's a healthy thing. I don't know where praise is in your life. I don't know what priority it has, but I would encourage you, Lord, stir up the praise in here. God will stir that up. It is good for you. That is healthy. It it honors God. It gives him glory. And we were made to praise him. But beware of anyone trying to silence your praise. If anyone's trying to say, knock that off, keep that down, don't praise. That's not the Lord. That's not the Holy Spirit. He's not behind that. And these Pharisees are like, keep them down. Don't, Don't be shouting out Jesus. Don't say the name of Jesus. That's not the Lord. In fact, it's a different spirit completely. So be aware of anyone trying to silence your praise. And the story moves on here. 
And Jesus, the Messiah, we're not going to look at this today, but as you look at this this week, and I, and I hope all of you guys spend a little time in the Gospels, follow along this week. Make it your commitment, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, to follow along, walk with Jesus in this final descent into Jerusalem. Because when you do, you're going to go into Good Friday in a whole other level of insight and revelation. And you're also going to go into Resurrection Sunday with a profound understanding. From here, he goes down into the temple. And he cleanses the temple because he says, it's my father's house. They, were, they turned it into a marketplace. And here is the problem, guys. For some people who are skeptics, for some people who are on the sidelines, for some people who are going, is he the king or will I let him be my king? I don't know. The problem some folks had is this. He didn't overthrow the Roman Empire. And they're like, well, I'm cool with this for now, but let's see what he does when he gets to Jerusalem. I'll just wait. And I want to see if it's going to go down the way I think it should go down. And if it does, if I get what I want, get what I expect, then maybe I'll fall. But if not, forget it. Judas is one of those people, by the way. Judas was one following along, but at this end transition... When things didn't change the way he thought, Judas walked. And there's a lot of people in the crowds who were following, and they wanted to see explosive things. And as long as we keep seeing and getting stuff, cool. But if we don't, the way we think, forget about it. He goes in, he, he cleanses the temple, but the Roman Empire is still in charge. And some people are stepping back on, but I thought. I thought the way it was going to go down is our salvation, our deliverance wasn't going to be spiritual. I thought it was going to be physical. And he's not doing what I thought he was going to do. I have a problem with this King Jesus. You see where people went? And there was a lot of folks like this. And the thing about this is they had a different idea. They didn't understand what was going on. They didn't understand the kingdom of God all the way. They had their view of the kingdom, but they were wrong about their view of the kingdom. And truth be told, we can kind of do the same thing. Sometimes we think that God Almighty is going to do something in a way and his kingdom is going to work out a certain way and it doesn't work out the way we thought. And we too could take a step back and go, but I thought, why did this happen? Why did God allow this? I didn't know it was going to be like this. And we too take a step back because we don't understand the kingdom of God. Don't retreat when you don't understand the kingdom of God. Charge. That's when you walk forward in faith. That's a time of a test. That's a trial. That's blessable. That is rewardable. Just because you don't understand the aspects of the kingdom, don't retreat. Many did in the story. Many do today. Don't understand what God's doing, but why did that happen? And they get hurt or offended or they back up. You know, it says in Isaiah 55 that God's ways are above ours just as much as the heavens are above the earth. Can't even comprehend what God can comprehend. He sees Beginning and future, he's all-knowing. We're so limited and finite in our capacities. And yet, we go, why'd that happen? Well, why did God allow that? And there's so many folks that since God doesn't fit their bill, since God doesn't do it the way they think God should do it, that they back away and walk away. I love talking to agnostic people. Usually, there's not a true atheist. A true atheist is not a true atheist if he's fallen out of an airplane or falling off a cliff. He's not really an atheist. He's an agnostic. So let's talk about agnostics, but agnostic people who, who choose to not choose and just try to stay away. If you get to the heart of the matter and the issues in their life, a lot of times, if you ask enough questions, they'll say, oh yeah? Well, then why did this happen? Oh, that's a different story. 
there's something inside, underneath, the common denominator of all of this stuff is that why did God let that happen? Why didn't the kingdom of God fit the way I think it's supposed to work and sit and it didn't forget it? I don't want anything to do with it. And so many people do that. And even today, that are going well in the faith and something happens and, well, I don't think it should have been like this and I'm confused and where was God and the kingdom of God didn't happen the way I thought it would and they get frustrated and they back up and they pause or they pull over and park. That's the time to charge, guys. That's the time when your faith is being tested. That's when you stampede for the glory of God. That's what faith is by definition. And yet many people did it. And in this story, they did as well. A lot of those people yelling, Hosanna, there were many of them there on crucifixion day, but the other group, they weren't. Rome's still in charge. It didn't go down the way I thought it would. And people get disappointed. Be careful. Guard your heart. Watch that really carefully. Uh, Even the apostles, the disciples, they didn't understand really what was happening that week. They didn't really understand dying on a cross for the sins of the world. What? Don't leave us. It's like you don't even understand. I'm going to leave you and send you the Holy Spirit. They're like, what do you mean? They didn't get it either until the other side, post-resurrection. And they're like, whoa, we get it now. So don't retreat, guys. Charge. And if we were honest... Sometimes we don't understand things until later. And sometimes we misunderstand the kingdom of God. And when we do, what do we do with that? Uh, My advice to you is that as a believer who wants to walk in the promises of God and be victorious in the tests and trials that he gives you, you've got to leave the unanswerables with God. You have to leave them with God. If you don't leave the unanswerables with God, you'll be pulled over, parked, with flat tires for the rest of your walk, the rest of your life. But, but if we go, God, I don't get it. I don't know why it's going down like this. I thought it was going to be different, but I'm moving forward in faith. Oh, that's rewardable because he sees all and knows all. But we, again, we tend to pull over. You've got to leave the unanswerables with God. In fact, some of the greatest testimonies I've heard or seen in life are people who have been through a lot of stuff And they didn't say, well, where are you, God? How come you're not doing this and this? They're not those kind of people. They're like, no matter what, you're still God. You're still the king. You're the king of the kingdom. And I'm following you. You have the words for life. And God blesses and rewards that instead of stopping. That's so important, guys. That is so, so important. The kingdom of God didn't go down the way a lot of folks thought it was going to go down right here. It didn't. On the other side, they started to get it. But on the front side of the cross... They're like, what is this? Why is this happening like this? We do the same thing. They believed Jesus was the Messiah, but they were wrong about the kind of deliverer he was. We do the same thing. They knew that he was the king, but they didn't understand the nature of his kingdom. And we do the same. We've got to understand the nature of our king and his kingdom and our place in that kingdom. And by the way, you have a big place in that kingdom. If Jesus is your king and you're a citizen of the kingdom, you have provisions of the kingdom, you've got protection in the kingdom, you have a king who's your advocate. If there's things, you go to your king. Your king will handle that for you. It's not your problem anymore because you have a king. If you're outside the kingdom, you're on your own. You can't expect provision, protection, and all these things of a kingdom when you're not a citizen of it. But when you say yes to King Jesus and you become a citizen of it, then these things are yours by by right. There are rights to citizens of the kingdom of God. And these are some of them. And and the sooner you start grabbing these, you're like, oh, these are good. I love these. Um, They were only interested in the kingdom of this world and not the kingdom of heaven. And here's the deal, guys. Jesus didn't come to conquer Rome. He came to conquer 
sin and death. And a lot of folks had that all wrong. He didn't come to be crowned. He came to be crucified. He knew that. I know it sounds weird. Why would he do that? Because that was the only price that could be paid. The Bible says there's no remission of sin without the outpouring of blood. So even though we would like forgiveness to happen some other way, we would like to say, well, why don't I do more good things than bad things? Isn't that cool? <laughs> Wouldn't that qualify me? God's like, no, there's no remission of sin without the outpouring of blood. And there's no sacrifice good enough except for the one he paid. And so he didn't come to be crowned. He came to be crucified. Ironically, Passover weekend as the Passover lamb, the ultimate sacrifice. So Jesus didn't look like a conqueror, but within the next week, he conquered sin, he conquered Satan, and he conquered death. He didn't look like the conqueror you thought he might look like, and yet he conquered it all in one week. And so guys, when you think of King Jesus, when you think of being part of his kingdom, when you think of expectations of a citizen and expectations of the king, get with them this week. Ask him, Lord, show me more about the aspects of your kingdom. Because if you said yes to King Jesus, you're a citizen of that kingdom. And as a citizen, you need to know your rights. You need to know your provisions. You need to know your opportunities. You need to know that you are under a sovereignty that a lot of other folks in the world aren't. There is power and provision and there's blessing in that. And he gives us authority. He even says that we're ambassadors for him. Just like America and our government says, you're an ambassador. You have autonomy to go places representing the sovereign one. And so do we. There's so many beautiful aspects of this. So we're going to close in prayer, guys. And this is what I want to encourage you to do. This week is so important. There's so much that hinges this week in the Christian faith on why we live and how we live and and what God does in our life. So much of it surrounds this week. A couple of things. Invite a friend to Good Friday or Easter service because if you do, some are going to come. And if you don't, no one's inviting them and they're not going anywhere. We need to introduce people to King Jesus. That's a big part. That's a main event. And we want to do that. There's a lot of people walking aimlessly, meandering through life with no purpose. And when they understand the dimensions of the kingdom and their place in it, that's where life begins. And the other thing I'd ask you to do is to spend time this week in the gospel. Spend time... And walk this out with Jesus. Walk the rest of this story out as we get to Good Friday of where Jesus went and what he said. And you could track along in the Gospels and, and become part of the story. And let the story become part of you because it's, it, it just gives life. And so uh, I'm going to just close in prayer right now. And, and Lord God, I just want to pray that the power of this, this day, Lord God, where they shouted praise to you. There is so much going on, Lord. When the praise is rising, Lord. When the praise is rising in this heart, when the praise starts to build up and well up in us and we, we start to recognize that you're, you're King Jesus and we recognize that you're the King of all kings, you're an everlasting King, you're a humble King, you're a sovereign King, you're just amazing in all these capacities, then we begin to realize that we have an important place in your kingdom. You've assigned places. You've given us things. You've given us gifts, talents, resources. You've given us things. You've got plans for us in the scope of your kingdom. I pray we would start taking that to heart. I pray we'd start walking that out in faith, God. I pray we would start even including others saying, can I just tell you something about this kingdom? It doesn't just begin when you get to heaven. It begins here and now when you accept King Jesus and he puts his spirit inside of you. 
And Lord, that's just a beautiful place to begin. Lord, if there's any here today that maybe haven't had a day in history where they specifically said, yes, Jesus, come in and be my king. I pray today would be the day, Lord. You said you stand at the door of the heart and knock. If anyone hears your voice and opens the door, you will come in. You also say you will never leave or forsake us. So I just pray, Lord God, if any are sensing, I know about you, God. I hear about you. I even have some respect for you, but they haven't actually said, I submit to you as my king. I pray today would be the day. I pray in the privacy of their own heart, say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I want to turn. I want to follow you. You're the king. I'm not. I'm getting off of my throne. I'm putting you on it. From this day forward, you be the king of my universe, and I, I'm demoting myself as an active choice of my own will. I'm demoting myself to make you king. And Lord God, if any are saying that, Lord God, that you would just put your spirit in them, and you begin a whole new work as a citizen of the kingdom. We love you, mighty God. We just pray this week that you stir some things up in us, because we got a lot to celebrate coming up, Resurrection Sunday. But Lord, let us walk this out with you. Let us let us walk to Jerusalem with you. Let us travel with you as we read along in the word, Lord God, and, and just listen to your words and start to hang on them because your words give life. We love you for it, God. We thank you in advance for these things in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. 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 This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit valleymetrochurch.com.